I want to take us to a portion of scripture today that hopefully will uh, give us the Advent story, the Christmas story from a different angle. And here's my, my ask of you today. Everybody looking at me when I ask you this question. I'm wondering if time can move slow for the next few moments. I wonder how many of us can pause the, the lists for a moment. I wonder how many of us might be able to, to pause the timing of this service right now and simply allow things to be slow for a moment. When we found out that uh, Christmas Eve landed on Sunday and Christmas Eve services were, were gonna be our traditional morning services, we decided to just keep them our traditional morning services. How many of you know you can go to Christmas Eve services and they're expedited? It's like, get in, get out, get in, get out. And I'm just wondering today if you might be able to hang with me for a little while and not expedite our service, but can we take a moment to gaze upon the beauty and the majesty of our King Jesus today? So for a heads up, we're doing church this morning. All right, and uh, that, that's my express goal. And then and we're gonna get out of here and go on to the rest of our stuff. But I wanna take us to Matthew chapter one. Verses 18 to 25. Is it all right if we look at a lot of scripture today? A lot of Bible today. Matthew chapter one, verses 18 to 25, and then we'll look at some more sections of scripture. Um, this is gonna be our text for today, to, for today to start. The Bible says this, that the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Can we stop there for just a second? Can we all acknowledge right now in this moment, this is already the start to a weird story, all right? Many of us understand basic biology, and so we would know that something that is taking place right now in the storyline is not seemingly scientifically possible. Are we all correct? Are we all, we all good, okay? So her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Can we just all agree that Joseph is having a different type of day? <laughs> this is not necessarily the way that you want the news that your wife is pregnant. So Joseph, like we just gotta look at this at, raw, like at a raw level. Joseph is finding out that his wife is pregnant from whom? An angel. And his wife is pregnant, not because of him, not because of anybody else, but God. Joseph's having the beginning of what seems to be a bad day. But the angel tells him not to be concerned. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus. And now some pressure is applied to Joseph because the son that he will have will save people from their sins. So Joseph and Mary, you're not having a, a, a normal baby. You have the son of God. Come on, parents. How many of you know the pressure that just got put on these parents' shoulders? It wasn't just A's in school. It was keep them alive. Because he will save his people from his, his sins. Is it all right if I narrate the story like this a little bit? Because it's going to come into play in just a few moments why it's important for us to see it this way. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son. They will call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. 
When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Today, as we conclude our series, Majesty, and we stand on the eve of Christmas, I wanna speak to you from this subject today. If you're taking notes, I'd love for you to write this down. Making room for majesty. Making room for majesty as we look at how the majesty of Christ, here it is, often interrupts our lives. Will you pray with me just one more time today? Father, we thank you for your word. It is alive, it's active, it's powerful. God, my prayer is this, that today the minutes would go slow. They would go slow so that we would be in your presence. God, I pray today that we could linger in your presence today. God, that your word would come alive to us in a new way today. That all the lists, all the stuff, all the things, all the parties, all the to-dos would pause in this moment as we reflect on you today. Jesus, we love you. We honor you. We praise you today. And I ask that you would move in both of our auditoriums today and online. Your name is above every other name. It is the name to which every knee shall bow. And so we bow our hearts to you today as we reflect on your goodness in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, and all God's people shouted. Yes. Come on, in both of our auditoriums, everybody shouted. Yes. Amen. Um, one of my favorite movies on the, on the whole planet is the movie Inside Out. How many of you have seen that movie before, Inside, Inside Out? Okay. Um, and one of the reasons that I love this movie is there's some, there's some actually deeper parts to the movie that if you study certain things, you recognize it in even greater ways. But one of the most, um, probably one of the funniest things about that movie and one of the things that hit home with me, y'all remember the train of thought? Remember how the train of thought would constantly go off the rails? And it was in that moment that I realized that is my mind. That is how I work. I am easily distractible. Do I have a witness in church today? Come on, is there, anybody, is there anybody like me that gets easily distracted, easily distracted? And the rest of you are just super focused people. That's why you're not raising your hand. Or you're a liar, one of the two. So I'm easily distracted. So when something interrupts me, it's difficult for me to come back from it. Now, is it all right if I give you a little bit of like, inside track on my family. Um, just a heads up, the parish family's not perfect. Can I get an amen in church today? Um, oftentimes there's this perspective like the pastors have it all together and their life is just this beautiful, seamless piece of artwork. And uh, that is the furthest thing from the truth. Uh, but last night we uh, sat down for dinner. I had uh, planned this particular dinner. Cooking's my love language. Come on, somebody. And uh, so I decided I was going to cook for the family last night, and it was like a pre-Christmas Eve Christmas dinner, if you know what I'm saying. And so got it all ready. I put my, I put my man apron on, black wax canvas with a leather pocket, and yeah, it was a gift. It was glorious. And so I was in my zone. There was music on, and I'm in the kitchen, and I'm cooking this meal, and Erica got candles out for our table, big stem candles, and, and they were going, and the kids got the table all cleaned up, and we got it set, and we sat down, and Erica said, hey, before the hustle and bustle the next couple days before four Christmas Eve services and Christmas Day with family. We want to take a moment, the five of us, and we just want to have a moment with Jesus at the table. She's like, I'm going to read some of the Christmas story. We're going to ask the kids questions. How many of you know, in our mind, I had built up, in my mind and her, we built up the most serene, beautiful picture of what our table could be. Somewhere along the process, we believed that our kids would actually sit still. 
Somewhere in the process, we believed that they wouldn't bug each other and, and make each other miss. Somewhere in the process, we believed and we had this image in our mind that everything was going to be so gorgeous. And then we sat down. <laughs> and as we sat down, Erica pulled out the Bible and she started to read. And as we're eating and about 37 seconds into her reading, what happened? Interruption. And we got past it and we moved on and we kept on reading. And then it was, okay, guys, and I, and I chimed in. I was like, I want us to all tell something that we're, that we're thankful for and what, something that we're thankful for for 2023. And I'm expecting my kids to go deep and philosophical in that, in that <laughs> how many of you know what I'm talking about, right? Like I wanted them to pull out, like, like I wanted my daughter to be like, I am so thankful for my, my father. <laughs> right? Like, like that was the image that I had in my mind. And then like she would start weeping and, and my... <laughs> And my oldest son would put his arms around her and be like, yeah, I just, I thank you that we are his progeny, that his blood is coursing through my, my vein. It's just weeping and weeping. And then Erica would chime in and just start saying, he's such a wonderful husband. And that didn't happen. That was not a part of our, our dinner. And so I started to, hey, I want you to, and so they said a few things, and then it was my turn to share what I was thankful for. And I got about 15 seconds into sharing, and one of the kids did what? Interrupted. And I was furious. I was so mad. We're having this moment. It was this thing. I built it up. It was the way that I wanted it to be. And interruption after interruption after inter interruption. It tells that story to help us realize that Advent, the story of Jesus' birth is about a majestic interruption. Christmas is all about an interruption. Now, I want to create some context for us. Both Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, and Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38, they give us the story of the advent of Jesus. However, both of these sections of Scripture they come from two different perspectives. In one, the one we just read, we get the perspective of Joseph. We get the angel talking to Joseph. But if you read Luke chapter one, verses 26 to 38, you have a different angle from the story and it's the, sto it's the angle of, of Mary. And so what we have unfolding in both of these segments of scripture is the full storyline both sections of scripture give us when it comes to the advent or the majesty of Jesus and this Christmas season. Matthew and Luke begin the story the same way, with a betrothal and a soon-to-be marriage. Now, it's important for us to understand this because it speaks to some very significant truths that we will examine in just a few moments. But quickly, what I want to help us understand, in order to understand the Christmas story better, in order to understand what was really happening and actually drive some truth home to you and I, we need to understand what Mary and Joseph we're dealing with. How many of you would agree with me? We tend to sanitize the Advent story. Here's what I mean by that. How many of you agree with me? We tend to make the birth of Jesus more beautiful than it actually was. And so if we understand the historical context, we understand what Mary and Joseph were dealing with, it actually helps us better understand and put, our play, like put ourselves in this story to see what Jesus actually does in and through our lives. So some customs of marriages. Marriages were arranged for individuals by parents and contracts were negotiated. After this was accomplished, these individuals were then considered married and they were called husband and wife. They did not, however, begin to live together. 
Instead, the woman continued to live with her parents and the man with his for one year. The waiting period was to demonstrate the faithfulness of the pledge of purity given concerning the bride. Think about that. They would wait a year after being legally married to affirm the pledge that they were making that each other was only for each other. Now she was found to be with child as is the case of Mary in this period. She obviously was not pure, but it involved, been involved with unfaithful sexual relationship. Therefore the marriage could be annulled. If however, the one year waiting period demonstrated the purity of the bride, I love this. The husband would then go to the house of the bride's parents and in a grand processional march, lead his bride back to his home. There they would begin to live together as husband and wife and they would consummate their marriage physically. Matthew's story, the Advent season should be read with this background in mind. Why? Because it's important for us to understand how Joseph and Mary were being let down. See, many of us don't look at it that way. We look at the nativity scene in, in porcelain imagery. I remember growing up, my mom, my mom who's sitting here on the front row, she had this porcelain nativity scene. It would sit on the top of our piano and she'd put angel hair around it. And it was, it was, it was beautiful, it was white and she would put Christmas lights around it and it would twinkle. It was this beautiful nativity scene. And here's the problem is that we've allowed the Hallmark channel to make Jesus's nativity more beautiful than it actually is. Why? Because you are dealing with two let down teenagers. They had an idea in mind of what that marriage was gonna be. Oh, come on, married people, or maybe you're, you're engaged. Y'all remember when you had the way that you wanted the wedding to be? Four of us, let's try this again. Do any of you remember how you wanted the wedding to be? It was, a, it was the party of a century. You had the music picked out. We had big band, Frank Sinatra, and I got one song pick. I kid you not, she picked everything. I got one song, you wanna know what I chose? Beat It by Michael Jackson. I was in. We chose the food. We had all the people there. We had hundreds of people at our wedding. We had this picture of what we wanted the wedding to be. We have Pinterest for this now. Pages and pages and pages of people's ideals. Mary and Joseph had an ideal. They had the way that they wanted it to be. And here's what I want us to hear. Jesus interrupted it. In one moment, their ideal changed. It's important that we understand this backdrop, but it's important that we understand another part of the backdrop as well from a historical perspective. Herod the Great was a half-Jew who through the accommodation to the Romans ascended to power as a client ruler of Israel in 37 BC. He was known as a great builder of public works and a shrewd diplomat in dealings with both the Romans and the Jews, but he laid oppressive taxes and conscripted labor over the Israelites. As he grew older, he became increasingly paranoid about threats against his person and throne. He had numerous, listen to this, sons and wives and others who were close to him. He would put them, he would have them put to death because he feared plots to overthrow him. If Herod were a true devotee, of Judaism, the Judaism of scripture, he would have rejoiced greatly at the arrival of Jesus, but he does not. Instead, he views this new child as a mortal political threat. 
The word troubled is used of Herod in, in scripture when speaking about him, but there's probably better words to describe it more along the lines of in turmoil, terrified, greatly agitated would be more accurate at the arrival of this Messiah. There was great political turmoil birthed out of fear and a desire for power, thus leading Herod to, you remember this, kill all the boys two years and under throughout Bethlehem and in the region. So not only did Mary and Joseph not get the wedding they wanted, not only did Mary and Joseph not get the storyline they wanted, but now their soon newborn son would be birthed into a political environment where everybody was out to kill him. Parents in the room, how many of you know we have a way that we want the birthing process to go, which usually doesn't contain murder. Open genocide in the land, right? We set up cribs and we pick colors. We get the room all ready. We get the stuffed animals and we get the walkie talkies for the rooms. That's the way I say them, apparently. The parents walkie talkies and we get it all set up. Why? Because we have, come on, an ideal. Can we be honest in the room today? We all have ideals. We have ideals for our lives. We have ideals for our relationships. We have ideals for our jobs. We have ideals for our journeys. Am I talking to anybody in church today? And all of a sudden, this Jesus, this God, has the gall and the audacity to interrupt their ideal. One author concerning, wrote concerning the advent of Jesus that Jesus entered the world amid strife and terror and spent his infancy hidden in Egypt as a refugee. It's not the storyline one would expect. It's not the storyline one would expect for Mary. It's not the storyline one would expect for Joseph. And can we all agree in here today, it is not the storyline that one would expect for the king of the world, the king of the universe. However, amidst all of this, we truly learn what the advent of Jesus is all about. This divine interruption teaches us much about who Jesus is, how he works, and how, this, how his purpose, come on somebody, prevails even in the most difficult of situations and circumstances. According to the dictionary, majesty means regal, lofty, stately dignity, imposing in character, grandeur, supreme greatness or authority, or I love this one, sovereignty. Majestic, the majestic is experienced when our lives, someone needs to hear this today, when our lives are interrupted by that which is bigger than us. And one of the reasons that many of us never experience that which is majestic is because we don't allow anything bigger than us to interrupt us. Because we don't like, come on somebody, where are my people at? We don't like interruptions. We don't like it when things break in and, and, and change the way things are. See, that's what Advent is about. This Christmas season, experiencing Christ, the Savior, the one who is more significant than anything else. And if we're honest, his Advent is most of the time an interruption. The truth is, is that for many of us, if we are not careful, even this moment right now is seen as an interruption to our plans and our desires for today. 
I know that we have our lists and our errands and our to-dos. We have our preparations and our plans and our dinners and our desires, but a moment of majesty, come on, somebody, rarely comes when it's anticipated or wanted. Usually a majestic moment comes when it's least desired. Moments of majesty often cause us to stop when we wanna keep going, set our gaze in a different direction and lift our hands, our heads from what is a distraction. Have you ever captured a sunset when you wanted to? What do you have to do to capture them? You have to change everything. I love the moments our deck uh, sits out in just a way where we can see over the valley a little bit. And I love the moments when the clouds are just right and the aversion's just right. And so you get the most beautiful sunset. Come on, somebody. You gotta find the good in it. Let's go. Man, I mean, the Salt Lake Valley is on fire. And so Eric and I will stop, we'll pause, we'll go out to the deck and we'll look over and we'll hold hands and she'll kiss me on the cheek and it's this beautiful, serene moment. And then we'll go, kids, get out here. And what do they say? No, I'm on round four. Why? Because in order to capture that moment that is majestic, they have to lift their heads up from what is distracting. And here's the problem that I'm concerned with. Here's what I'm concerned with for many of us in here. For the past 24 days, we've been going so hard, we've been going so fast that we're missing majestic moments. Have you ever stared and stopped and stared at something so beautiful and it made everything else go away? Many of us miss the glory of God because we're too concerned with the darkness within. This Christmas, this this Christmas Eve that we're in, what I'm trying to suggest to us today is that maybe we stop for just a moment, just a few minutes, an hour and 15 minutes, and gaze upon the one who is worthy of it all, and his name is Jesus. We gotta stop, we gotta pause for just a second. That's what we're trying to do right now. The parish family is trying to pause. Block it all out for a second. Has anybody else felt rushed or is it just me? Has anybody else been surprised that it's Christmas Eve all of a sudden? Did you all just wake up like three days ago like I did and went, wait, what? Why, it's going, it's going so fast. I remember my, my mom uh, used to tell me when I was growing up and Many of you remember this. As you get older, time goes faster. And I was like, such a lie. Spoken like a great 12-year-old. Now I'm 41. (laughs) And I found out my mom wasn't lying. It's zooming by. My kids are getting tall. Is it all right if I just like sit back for a moment? Just can I do this with you? This is therapy for me. Um, You do it. Talk to your neighbor. It's fine. I'm just going to vent for a few moments. Um, (laughs) My kids are getting taller. We're we're, we're approaching 19 years of marriage. Our church is like like it's 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 weird, right? My eyes are drooping. It's all going so fast. And so what do we do? We try to move faster in order to capture it. Then we wake up one day and we go, how did I get here? We missed the majestic moments. 
I don't think that my words today will make things any more majestic or non-majestic, but I do hope that my words today cause us to all stop and look a different direction and maybe see Jesus in the way that we need to see him this Christmas Eve. And so I just want to extract out of this Christmas story three truths for us today, Um, three things that I believe that we see and learn about God through this Advent story. Need your help today? Come on, everybody shout number one. Here's the first thing that I believe the Bible teaches us in this Advent story is that when God interrupts our lives, it is extraordinary, inexplicable, and scandalous. When God interrupts our lives, it's extraordinary, inexplicable, and scandalous. See, the advent of Jesus, the birth of Jesus shows us this. Mary and Joseph's lives had been flipped upside down and set on a course very different than they had desired to have going on in their lives. See, this moment didn't just go against their desires, but it it went against the very nature of their culture, their upbringing, and their customs. Come on, how many of us in here today, we've got some customs, right? Many of us even here today, we're, we're at church because it's a, it's a customary thing to do. And you're a little freaked out right now because custom would tell us that Christmas Eve services are at night. And custom would tell us that they better have candles for me to hold at the end of this service. Newsflash, we don't. We put them in the sky. We're breaking all the customs. And for some of us, we're, t- we're twitching. You don't know what to do with it. Why? Because customs are ingrained deep inside of us. And so Jesus interrupts Mary and Joseph's customs with his kingdom. And I want to suggest to some of us today that when God gets a hold of your life, he will interrupt some of your customs so he can make you a part of his kingdom. And it changes everything. See, when God interrupts our lives, it often goes against everything we are in order that we would pursue everything that he has. Jesus asks us to exchange our customs for his kingdom. So today, for some of us, Jesus asks you to exchange your hopelessness for the hope that you have in him. Come on, that's his hopes in his kingdom. See, for some of us today, God asks you to change your, to to exchange your insecurity for the confidence that's in him. Why? Because confidence is a part of his kingdom. God asks you to exchange your fear that you may be wandering with and and walking this life out. He says, no, no, I want to take what is custom to you, living in fear and living in insecurity. And I want to give you power. I want to give you love. I want to give you a strong mind. Why? Because we're exchanging custom for kingdom. It baffles me that Jesus came into the darkest, most profoundly broken moment to redeem it. Think about this. Jesus was birthed into the very thing he came to redeem. Grace is extraordinary and inexplicable. The fact that God would send his one and only son to redeem, rescue, and restore a world that had gone dark and turned its back on its very creator blows my mind. And our stories are no different, church. For some of us here today, we could tell story after story, moment after moment of God interrupting our lives. 
And for others in here, I just want to declare prophetically over your life that this may be the moment today that God divinely interrupts your life and changes everything. You might walk out of here today with the greatest gift you never knew was missing from your life. You may walk out of here today understanding what real grace is. You will walk out of here today understanding what real forgiveness is. You will walk out of here today understanding that when God interrupts your life, everything changes. This ain't Christmas as usual. Number two, everybody shout number two. Here's the second thing. God's timing is perfect, planned, and precise. God's timing is perfect, planned, and precise. Does anybody else get bothered when someone says to you pithily, God is always right on time? <laughs> right? And you're like, so's my fist to your throat. So, <laughs> right? Like when you say like, man, what is God doing? And someone's like, he's always on time. <laughs> and you're just like me, I just. Mm. And then I was like, but dang it, it's theologically true. It's biblically true. All those people who said that to you, they were right. Hey, what's the problem? We just don't like it. Why? Because let's be honest, can we be honest in church today? We like our timing better than God's timing. Right? We know better when we should get the promotion. <laughs> Everyone went real quiet, real quick. We know better when we should have that spouse. We know better when we should have that job. We know better mm, when that person should be healed. We know better. God's timing is always perfect. But here's the funny part about scripture. The scripture shows us that God's timing is perfect and it rages against our timing. See, the way that we see timing and the way that God sees timing are two very different realities. The time in which the advent of Jesus was taking place was the wrong time for many different reasons. The political climate, the people in charge, the turmoil, the fear. Realistically, someone could ask, God, what are you doing? Or better, God, what are you thinking? You ever been there? God, what? what how is this a part of your plan? How does this fit in the thing? How, here it is. How does this fit in my prayer? <laughs> oh, someone's like, can we just go back to traditional Christmas Eve service? I want, I want the porcelain nativity. I just like to come at a little bit of different angle because it's so true. Because here's what happens is that for many of us, when our ideals are broken, our faith in God is broken. But it's interesting that at, on both the perspectives that we get from Mary and Joseph, both of them say yes. Both of them say yes to Jesus. Mary's like, I'm here for it. Joseph's like, I'm here for it. The weirdest of conditions, the hardest of conditions, not the storyline they wanted. Both of them were like, I'm here for it. Yeah. I just want to ask you today, are you here for what God has for you? Yeah. Are, are you here for it? This, are you here for it in 2024? Yeah. 
And guess what? 2024 may include sickness, yes. but I'm still here for it. Yes. And 2024 may include a car accident, yes. but, but I'm still here for it. Yes. College students, 2024 may mean you, you didn't get the A, you got the C. And oh my gosh, I know they're not going to hire you or let you into this, but God is still bigger than it all. Are you here for it? 2024 may be a delay. 2024 may not be what you wanted it to be. Tomorrow may not be what you wanted it to be, but I have found that is when God is most involved in it, when it doesn't look like my ideal, but it looks like his miracle. Come on, am I talking to anybody in church today? So God's timing, whether we think so or not, it's, it's, it's perfect, it's planned, it's precise. There's a story in John chapter 11, carried over a bunch of verses, where we read about this man named Lazarus who had been dead, and then his sisters, Mary and Martha. And if you read the narrative for the sake of time, I'm not going to today, you can go look it up. But it's interesting that both Mary and Martha, they, they, they come to Jesus, and this is what they say to Jesus. If you would have been here, he would have lived But to them, Jesus was late. Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. He was stinky. Dude was dead. Deader than dead. Dead. And Martha and Mary came to Jesus and they said, if you, this is how I interpret it. Step back from the scripture for just a second. <laughs> but this is the way I interpret it. If it's me. I'm going, if you would have been here when I asked you to be here, I would have got what I wanted. But here's the deal. If God would have showed up when I wanted him to, he wouldn't have gotten the glory. Think about it. Because rarely do we want God to get the glory. We just want our miracle. Because the miracle is seen when the ideal is broken. So now Lazarus is dead four days. Everybody, like they can't even fathom the idea that somebody would get out of the grave. Jesus strolls up outside of their ideal timing and calls Lazarus out of the grave. Why? Because now Jesus gets the glory. Now Jesus is seen for who he really is. And some of us in this room have dreams and plans and visions and desires that have been dead for days. Can I just tell you, he wants the glory. Don't get mad at his timing because it is precise and it is perfect to the praise and the glory of Jesus. Here's the thing about God's timing is it relates to his position as a father in our lives. I'm gonna invite the team up. Can I just help some of us out today? He knows when something will hinder us or hurt us. Why? Because he's a good father. The third thing is this, every shot number three. Here's the third truth that we see in scripture. I love this one. God uses, here it is, the unlikely, the unqualified, and the undeserving to manage majesty. Oh, come on, that's good news for somebody today. 
God uses the unlikely, the unqualified, and the undeserving to manage majesty. On one of my report cards, I've told this story before, I failed skipping. (laughs) Apparently they judge you that in school. One of my teachers asked my mom if she fed me sugar cereal in the mornings. Why? Because I was wild. If you haven't noticed, I have a lot of energy. And you know what's interesting is my mom and I have talked about this, so I'm not saying anything that her and I haven't conversed about, but over the years as I was growing up, how many of you would know that there was actually a lot of people in my life that said negative things over who I was? I was told in school that I wouldn't really amount to a lot. I was told I wasn't smart enough to do certain things. I was told that, 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 that even the place that I'm standing today, behind this pulpit, leading this church, being a part of this family, wasn't possible. But thank God that he uses the unlikely, the unqualified, and the undeserving to manage majesty. Oh, come on, somebody. Can I just tell you that the addiction does not make your identity? Come on, the word that was declared over you is not who you are. Why? Because he uses the unlikely and the undignified to manage majesty. Oh, some of you ain't ready for this Christmas story. A teenager named Mary and a young man named Joseph, who the world would say now she's impure, broken, marginalized, now refugees, birthing a baby in a manger next to a goat and a cow. Oh, come on, somebody. That is not the porcelain nativity scene I'm used to. But what does it show me? God uses the unlikely. God uses the unqualified. God uses the undeserving to manage his majesty. That ain't right. Because we want it to be the smartest in the room. The strongest in the room. The chiseled jaw. Come on, the most educated. We're first generation pastors. I got friends who are lineage, lineage, three, four, five deep. And I'm not gonna lie, I sometimes go like, man, I wish I had that that legacy. (laughs) Your legacy doesn't define you. Your maker does. I wonder what would have happened if Mary was like, nah. I'm only 14. I wonder what would have happened if Joseph would have went through with the divorce. What would would it have looked like if Joseph would be like, man, but Gabriel talking to the angel. I wish he would have had a discussion with the angel. That would have made my life so much better <laughs> to see something take place between him and the angel. Hey, Gabriel, do you, under, do you know who my dad is? Do you know what my dad's gonna say about this situation? Come on. Do you know what the family's gonna think about this? 
See, some of us haven't gotten real in the Christmas story yet. <laughs> because we have the ideal. Hallmark has, had, has made way too much money <laughs> off of making the nativity seem beautiful. <laughs> but what it shows me, what God shows me, is that God uses the unlikely, the unqualified, and the undeserving to manage majesty. Single moms today, can you go home? And I know it's not an ideal situation, but can you manage majesty? I know it doesn't look the way that you want it to, but in that moment with you and the kiddos, you can manage a majestic moment in the presence of Jesus, the presence of our God. Dads, I, I know you don't feel like you can do it. And I know because I'm there many times where I sit at the end of the table and I go, how am I going to do this? But can you manage a majestic moment today? Can you lead your family in prayer today? Could you lead them into a moment of worship in your household? Can you change the atmosphere? Can you shift it from anger to joy? Can you shift it from bitterness to beauty? Can you shift it from edgy to calm? Oh, come on, can you manage majesty? I know your son and daughter hasn't come back. And I know if some of you are sitting in this room right now hoping for a phone call that will never come. But can you manage majesty? And even though I'm struck down, I'm not destroyed. And even though it's not my ideal, I have hope. That church is the Advent story. Two teenagers who walked through an unideal situation, but they managed majesty to the glory and to the praise of King Jesus. And the church said, Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes in this moment. Nobody looking around. For some of us in here today, right now in this moment, the way that we manage majesty is by saying yes to him. The one who is majestic. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. If you would say, man, Jason, I need this Jesus to interrupt my life. I need this Jesus to break everything that I am, all my ideals, all my presuppositions. If you would say today on this Christmas Eve that you need the divine interruption of Advent, Jesus, make this your prayer today. We're all gonna pray in here. I don't wanna leave anybody out in both of our auditoriums today. 
But if you'd say today, man, Jason, that's me. I need Jesus. Make this your prayer today. Come on, as loud as we all can in both of our auditoriums today and online. Everybody repeat this after me. Everybody say, Jesus. I'm giving you everything. Giving you my past. Giving you my right now. Putting my future in your hands. Save me. Change me. And make me new. Today, I repent of my sin. I turn a new direction to follow you. In Jesus' mighty name.